Welcome to Q&A, the podcast series of conversations recorded in the Kadich and Morrissey Galleries at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. During each of our exhibitions, we sit down in the gallery and discuss the work as we see it in the space. This month, we talk large-scale pastel drawings with Heidi Draley McFall of DeWitt, Iowa. Heidi's exhibition runs until February 24th. Everyone, please uh, join me in welcoming Heidi Draley McFall to the Cash Gallery. Um, as you uh, may have read in the posters or the press releases for the show, Heidi lives in DeWitt, and she um, grew up in DeWitt. Grew yeah, up there. In the country. Yeah, uh, but she's had a pretty wild and very artistic career. Um, pretty major representation out, out east, and we're, we're lucky to have her. Um, so I thought I'd start by just asking you, you know, what are these things? They are drawings, which are drawn. Starts in the dark room. I go into the dark. I t starts with a photo session. Um, I do a photo session in film, go into the dark room, make a print, make a drawing, cover it in epoxy, two-part epoxy liquid. Then they cure, they get sanded, they get spray painted. Then they get re-epoxied sometimes. And this is what you see then at that point. Um, so it's a, a process of uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of process, layer upon layer of things happening. Um, versus from before, I don't know if anyone's seen my work before, but um, they were just drawings, straightforward drawings, that's what they were. And um, I became extremely dissatisfied with the idea of frames. They started to feel very um, not art, and um, I needed to get them out of my life. I also became obsessed with the idea of locking the work in a way that they were trapped. I became very interested in the idea of metaphor, that the epoxy was a way of encasing the work, trapping, thinking, my work has always been a little bit about time, so it seemed like this natural way of, of, of uh, with substances, deepening the conversation about time and psychology in a way of, with, with with this liquid. And it became, it all started an obsession with the dark room, and the dark room became a place of painterly abstraction where you could go in there and, as opposed to being in front of a Photoshop situation where you're manipulating and staring at a computer screen and you go back and forward and back and forward, Going to the darkroom was this place where it was like this free-for-all that anything could kind of happen, any strange mark, any hair on the negative or weird thing that would happen. It would start with film more like when you take the photo, if it's exposed to light, that weird mark happens. And so it just got me just deep down the rabbit hole of um, abstraction and using any tool or any place that I could grab from to create abstraction. and language and this language that I started to want to try to develop or talk about or find or uncover. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now with the work. So, so Heidi was worried we wouldn't have enough to talk about, but I feel like already okay. <laughs> there's a lot there that I have to unpack and try to, okay. try to like, I think we could talk for hours about this, but um, I, I really like how you you describe the slowness of the process and how meaningful the process is. For you, from a place of um, photography as the start, and I guess I'm really interested in this dynamic that these images are found instantaneously with the camera, mm -hmm. but then it begins a process then of you processing that image that can go on for a really long time. And I, I, I'm curious about how that developed. I mean. I know that a lot of um, artists begin a career with photorealism as a, as a means mm -hmm. to gauge um, their skill, skill level. right? Mm -hmm. But you've taken that far beyond that initial 
project, you've, you've taken it to a place where you're, I don't know, um, experiencing life through this dynamic of drawing this image. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how that grew. Like, it started out as drawing in a photorealistic probably way, but it became it abstract. Out, probably because I didn't go to art school, and so I never had that experience of being in a confined environment with a great professor and a bunch of students and bouncing ideas. Um, I never had that what are you doing photorealism for, you know, that big time challenge. And so early on when I first started making serious work, when I was like 24, 23, right away it was doing it with film because that's all that was really available in the late 90s. I kind of had started this when I was 16 though, um, taking photos like this. And doing, this started when I was like 15, 16, that kind of thing. Um, so, so f for me it was just this gut thing where I just like always just this urge just did it. Um, and when I started making serious work, when I decided I will be an artist now, uh, for real, um, it was just an impulse to do these photorealistic images. And so it's like with any journey, like you get married and it's what you think it's going to be and then you get married and then it becomes this other thing and then you craft it and you're building it as you live your life with this other person. Or um, you start a job, you know, what's this job going to become, how are you going to... So you start down this journey and any artist here or writer or whatever, understand, you know, you, you start down the journey, you don't know where the journey's going to take you, it's just essential that you start the journey. So the journey began, I started making these works, and initially, yes, they were just, like being in youth, it's very, um, whatever, it's not very well thought out, you're just sort of with your gut, just kind of making work, very impulsive, and so those early works were almost studies or just, just, just not questioning, just gutting out the work, just purging yourself. Um, and yes, they were super photorealistic and um, just made tons of them. Just grab this person, take a picture, make work, make work, you know, that's what it was about. And just did that for a long time. Um, so yes, it, it wasn't, it, there wasn't a whole lot of um, thoughtful, like, it was just like the youth making youthful work. And then the journey took me into digital, which we've talked about that a little, and I went into the digital just because as a young young person you just kind of go with the wave of whatever and by that time I was like approaching 30 and not too thinking too hard and um, just kind of went with the digital and then got caught up in photos. Digital is really happening. Digital is just a big time it's thing and it's like why there, would you yeah. do anything but digital? You're an idiot mm -hmm. and not very smart if you don't do digital. I was right. like, oh, I guess I want to be smart. I better do this. <laughs> so I started doing it. Right away, the images started to feel just kind of, at first it was an adventure, and I was just, I even got a little printer from Best Buy, and I would print the images out, and, but didn't comprehend that this radically alters, your information is essential, and it's radically been altered now, and I just, just kept making work, and, um, and then my friend introduced me to Photoshop, this ultra techie, um, artist friend and I'm like oh now this is incredible now I'll really be the best artist ever <laughs> and, um, so then I just kind of got really mired in digital and simultaneous to that you know um, lots of career whatever and lots of demand and 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 then the cranking out starts like crank 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 out the work and then so where you have to ask yourself at that point where's the intention and what's going on why are you even making work? Mm -hmm. You know why you're making work at 24, 25, 26. It's because you are gutting out, mm -hmm. making, you're purging yourself of the thing you have to say. Mm -hmm. When you get onto the career machine and the New York whatever, mm -hmm. it becomes another thing. Oh, we need this for this. And then you're making work for shows, but that's totally the opposite of what it needs to be. Yeah. It needs to be, I have a very thoughtful thing I need to say as an artist. I have a very specific point of view, a very thing that matters to me that I want to talk about, right. let's do that for three years and then let's have a show right. and see what we talk about at that point. Right. Then right. that's something interesting. And it's very uninteresting to, to do for a while make there. a bunch of work because someone wants to buy it and then you put it in a show, everybody buys it. It's super boring, <laughs> super uninteresting. No, I, yeah. no interesting, not not. You were just feeling a need. Not that the work wasn't good and not that people shouldn't have bought the work and whatever, it's fine, but it's not interesting. It's not an artistic, it's not a cultural thing. It's not a contributor. It's just a machine. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's, it's all kind of went with the digital. And then you know it starts to gnaw at your body why 
why am I unhappy? Why am I dissatisfied? What's going on? Um, and I just couldn't, it, it was like an itch you couldn't scratch. It was like you could never get to sleep. You could never, you couldn't, it was, I can't even describe the agony. Yeah. I can't describe A lot of anxiety, it. a lot of tension from it, yeah. I mean, making of artwork should always have a little bit of anxiety. There should be anxiety, should be but there's, there's anxiety, and then there's deep, 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 <laughs> yeah. unfathomable like anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. so my moment of eureka came um, when I <laughs> the work devolved into the absolute worst high school work, um, the worst ever like undergraduate like the girl that should never go on to be an artist that's the art that I started to make and um, just the worst ever like you'd go to the paper and you'd be like I'm gonna make the best piece of art ever and what it's gonna be is this it's gonna be me looking really happy on one side and then me looking really distressed on the other side I'm gonna merge them together in Photoshop and this side will be in color and this side will be black and white, and it's just gonna be amazing. Wait until you see this. So you labor over it, and you make this work, and you stand back and you just wanna love it so bad, and you try so hard to love it. You know, show it to your art dealer, and you know, the, the pause on the phone is just deafening of like, just horribleness, mm. just, it was the, just horrible work. And I went on like that for months, years, just making awful, awful work. Um, I burned tons of work. Um, I remember I finally thought I've broken through and I did three pictures and I set them out and my sister comes into the studio and she's just like, you know, and just, these are bad. And you're like, how dare you say, no, you know. So I burned a ton of work and um, then I was finally in camera corner one day, you know, you're cranking on the whatever, trying whatever. He just says to me, oh, you're never going to get the same thing in digital that you'll get with film. And he said something about silver crystals or something like that. I'm like, really? What is, okay. So I, I have to then, uh, okay, you think you've suffered? Well, you haven't even come close to suffering because that means you've got to buy a camera, you've got to figure out how to load film again, you've got to figure out how to get developed in 20, what, what year is it, 2013? Yeah. Um, you, you know, just, you've got a really long way to go, 2012. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, buy camera, load the film, figure out how to you know, you gotta get people. By this time, you know, you're mid-30s and you're just like, do I even wanna keep doing this? Like, I hate myself, I hate my life, I hate my work, I'm no good, why even bother? Okay, do you have another question? Uh, well, so. Sorry, I didn't mean to get it. Like, no, but it's no, rock it's, bottom, hardcore right. rock bottom. As, as you're reaching rock bottom, you're dissatisfied with the digital and the speed, which does sort of make sense. It's going antithetically to your, to your method. Your method is I slow. I didn't know, though. That I didn't you know realize. what the method was. The method was what? But it's slow, but you take your time on these things, right? I mean... Theoretically, yes, but at that point in life, any artist, any people out here who's, like, going to be an artist, like, know that it's a grind and know that it's really hardcore and it's really not fun a whole bunch of the time. Um... <laughs> I'm sure there's people out there that understand it. Um, this was the moment where you're at the crossroads where you're like, do I go or do I not go anymore? Um, you know somewhere inside yourself that there's a deeper place to go. There's something to play up, but you just don't, you're tired. You know, I, you know, there's a, you know, you've been, you know, anyone who's reached mid thirties, you, you've suffered some things at that point and you know, do you have the energy? You know, social, physically and emotionally, and you've got personal things that have happened in your life. Um, but then you're like, okay, I don't really want to do anything else, so I'm going to die. This is how I'm going down. Um, <laughs> I'm going down like this, so I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And you go down swinging, yeah. Yeah. There's just no other way. Right, right. And it. So when you have this. Aha about aha moment about photography mm -hmm. and about I guess I call it the analog for sure. ease ease of language today. You, you rediscover the analog process of photography. You connect that to drawing, and it opens up a whole new thing. What what is that? What talk more about that thing because it's I think it's really interesting that you sort of bodily reacted to photography and how light burns in the paper and creates. I this didn't image. know any of that at that point. Okay. At that point, all I was getting was 
get a roll of film, you take it to camera corner, they develop you, they give you a disc. Oh, this is great. Put it back on your computer, put it back into Photoshop. Yeah. Put it back through the filter that's the bad thing. Right. And I didn't, it took me years to understand this, but but right away you're sitting on the computer screen, you're seeing all this gray and you're seeing all that your truth has returned, your love has returned. You know, it's from a long, long journey overseas or whatever, you know, you meet in the airport. Um, mm -hmm. Right romance, away it was just this wonderful, wonderful thing. And I start making drawings, making drawings, and some of them were okay and some of them weren't okay. But they were, they were you're just like, okay, yes, yes, yes. Um, and then one day I got a roll of film back and usually one of the rolls of film, the girl was cut off halfway. And this is a picture yeah. from a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, kaboom, like, yeah. yeah. Now that's interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. This was the beginning of, let's think a little bit more about what would it mean if we did something other than just replicating a photograph? Yeah. We know that we've got the grains of the whatever, and Robert Longa already talked about that 15 right. years ago. Like, right, right. that's a boring conversation. You right. know, people already know that the grain of pastel mimics the grain of film. This is nothing new. Right. Um, so so th this might be something much more interesting. So at that moment, you know, film is the vehicle, but you haven't, you haven't completed the circle. Uh -huh. The circle needs to be finished. And then the other eureka moment came when my photographer friend who ruined my life with the Photoshop <laughs> resurrected me <laughs> he and that. said... He redeemed himself. <laughs> he said, which love him, I love yeah. <laughs> Well, you need to take a darkroom class, Heidi. Huh. And I said, okay, all right. So I take a darkroom class over at Blackhawk. This is the spring of 20, 2015. Right away, you're just blown. Your mind's just like blown, you know. And you're with a bunch of 15, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and the, the director has no idea who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't matter anymore. You, you mean nothing at this moment. You're just nothing. <laughs> you're dinosaur. And, um, and uh, you have to you have to say your name, and you have to answer. You have to and yes, Mr. Peterson. No, Mr. Peterson. You have to hand it in time. You got to get your little reports and your little get a grade. Get a good grade. And you know you're just right, just eaten you know just but it was just right away just like kaboom like mind-blowing experience and this is I made this I'm all these prints came this print came from that and that print and that pr these are these are the only two prints that came from that experience when I say print the darkroom print um, so what happened here was we had a, dar a darkroom class that was um, Part of the assignment was to create um, untraditional prints or whatever. And I, I, I had this idea. I just slid the negative in the tray. I thought, um, that's interesting. And then I was trying to get it perfect, real aligned, all perfect. And I made this print, and then I made another print. And the other print was really perfect. I'm like, oh, great, you did it. All shocks, you know, perfection. And then, you know, thinking about art students out here, it takes years for these ideas to germinate and the seeds growing in your body of this abstraction. And one day I'm sitting around my studio and I'm looking, I'm like, you know, it's just kind of way more interesting the wrong way. I love that more. And um, then I gritted out the picture. This is, I left it around my studio and it accidentally got smashed to another picture. And I pried it apart and these marks were left on the print. I was like, oh, I ruined it. And then I thought, you know, that's even more interesting. And then this dialogue started to happen in the studio of, let's let the studio become the abstract thing that's making the things abstract. Whatever happens, happens. Just Let's just go for it. So I made the drawing exactly as it appeared on the photograph. Smashed, ruined, pulled apart, crooked in the negative, all that stuff. Just free for all. Just who cares? And... You know, you just gut it out, and it was just like kaboom. Like I've said that now five times. <laughs> you gotta stop me. Um, but it was just the most liberating thing yeah. I ever did. Yeah. Um, yeah. It felt like you were connecting to the, the tradition of de Kooning and mm -hmm. Cy Twombly and 
Sure. To Gerhard Richter, but then, but sure. then saying, but I'm high, I'm, you know, thank you guys. I'm gonna just sort of jump off of that and just kind of run over here and see what happens. My studio, this is what's happening in my studio. Yeah, it has gotten, a, but, but, you know, we're living in 2016, 2017. Yeah. I think the time has passed for this just straightforward replication. We have sure. to, we live in murky times. Right, right. Where the truth is, it's hard to find. Right. And this just seems much more of an urgent way of speaking about the perilousness or the undefinableness of what it means to live in the modern era. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I mean, one of the things that's, that comes to mind for me hearing you talk about that is that there's still an interesting dynamic there between things that happen either instantaneously or, or accidentally, and then the way in which you process them into your into your finished work, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm, I'm just curious about um, how that, how, how, to, I'm just curious to hear you talk more about that in terms of its process, there's something about processing, there's something about for you to stumble upon something, but then to process that stumble into this finished it's thing. It's being open. Yeah. Be open. There are no rules. There is no, there is no, be open. Bring it all in. Mm -hmm. No border, no, this there is, is no, not art, this is art. I said to a friend in the audience, you know, we were talking, and I was in extreme angst a year ago, like, I'm dying, this is killing me. And I said, I want to throw the rule book out. And it, that means something different for each person, but I think there comes a point where you just shed yourself of expectations, mm. shed yourself of what you believe you have to be doing, that you have to know what you're doing. And each of these pictures are very imperfect. They're all works in progress. I don't really know what's going on, but... Just be open to whatever might happen. And right. it's been hard. Like this picture looked a bunch of different ways before it wound up to that moment. But right. to be, oh, your question was being open to the accidents, being yeah. open to whatever happens. And I think that's just listening. There's so much listening that goes on in the studio. Yeah. Listening to the work, talk to you about what the work's supposed to do. I believe right. that every picture has a journey that it knows already. You're just catching up. Right. Um, when you're trying to mold the picture and make it be what you think it needs to be for me, that's just, it's like, can't get over yourself. It knows what it's supposed to be doing. You just need to figure out what it's telling you to do. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated. Right. It's just, before this picture was just like, I discovered spray paint. I just was like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, you just cover it. Before you know, it's just like, yikes. He looks like he's walking out of a cloud. It's so deep, you know. But... Um, you just figure out how to edit down the things that don't belong. You you listen to the work. You hear the work speak to you. you. You know if you're being inauthentic. You know if the work's saying, Heidi, I don't like what you've just done to me. You have to listen to what it says for you to do. And so I just gradually started to understand, get rid of all that spray paint. He's not supposed to be walking through a misty cloud. What's much more interesting to me is, is over here, the epoxy turns the paper yellow. And this is the white spray paint. Mm. This is much more interesting to mm. me. The, the light that's border of the negative, or whatever, the print. Mm -hmm. uh, finding a way to talk in an abstract way about, just let's talk about light, let's talk about mm -hmm. these strange little things that epoxy has made possible mm -hmm. now because you've changed it from just making drawings to making drawings covered in epoxy. It just completely changes what you're capable of doing within the framework of your working process. Yeah. That was much more interesting, and does it have to be the strict border? No. Right. Isn't it more interesting if you just kind of let it do what it wants to do? And so there's a lot of sanding involved. And one day it just became this, and I'm like, that's what it needs to be, and just stop, walk away, don't do another thing to it. Right. You know, right. it's listening to those moments. Right, a discovery. A discovery of quieter things, ephemeral things, accidents, um, things that most people disregard um, or would disdain. I mean, the work that you're developing in this room is um, somewhat disdainful of the typical object, the typical gallery object, right? The well-framed, the well-situated, the well situated, the, the, the nicely matted, you know? I mean, to take it to a frame shop and have it, you know, they'd be like, what is this? This is, this is antithetical to that sort of approach. So. Um, that almost seems like that's how you're interacting now with photorealism too. Like there's a there's a questioning of it. There's a there's a great love of it, but there's a questioning of it at the same time, right? 
photorealism doesn't interest me at all. At, at all. And yet, it's still sort of a vehicle that through which you photorealism. Work. There are interesting things that have happened within the the history of photorealism. Right. But as far as being, I am just a person that was born in 1974 that's living through art history, as is everyone else in this room. It is not appropriate or acceptable for me to try to riff on photorealism in a straightforward way. Sure. Um, it's not interesting. It's not contributing. Sure. I don't know what the contribution is. I do know that I'm finding a way forward that means something to me. And um, it, it, it can't matter any larger than that it, it stops and starts in the studio. It doesn't go anywhere else. It can't matter outside of those confines, simply because then you're setting yourself up for an expectation that someone else is going to value it the way that you value it. The, 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 the joy and the beauty and the, the victory and the defeat all happens within the studio process. And it can't matter outside that room right. in that I can't control anyone's opinion and I can't control if art history says this is getting placed over here and it means something. You can't ever know that. It's all spinning outside your control. Um, I can know for sure that there are photorealists and people that have done interesting things. I'm, and we know the list, right. but Gerhard Richter made photorealism. But then he moved in different directions um, that, that were as interesting and created context for his photorealism. Sure. Chuck Close, of course, did the same thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I find much more, more places to mine deeper into, and I've talked about like Rudolf Stengel. Um, he did photorealism, but mm. clearly just doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to be careful. Don't look at those artists too much. Don't think about those artists too much. Immerse yourself in your studio yeah. practice. Yeah. It's a horrible word, yeah. Yeah. but immerse yourself in that 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 thing, and find your voice and your thing that you're supposed to say. Because yeah. the artwork is there somewhere, and the, pa the all the tools, the epoxy, the film, the darkroom, just all those things are there waiting. The scratching and the, the sanding and like this one over here was my first ever epoxy picture, and right away I, I just—it was a beautiful drawing, and I ruined it, mm -hmm. um, and I was devastated. I tried so hard to justify it, but then I sanded it down, and then um, then started washing it and sanding it and washing it and sanding it, and finally it's just what it—it's—it's it's imperfect and it's—it's a—it's a first try, but. It, um, it was immediately read in a deeper way. It's just so much more to say than all odd G shocks. You know, I made a photo that you know drawing that that looks just like a photograph. Right. I mean, for me, this is like there's a whole thing that can go on here. Um, the muffling and, and the scratching and the I could walk up at the studio one day with a friend and I had my friend and I just. I was like, hey guys, look what happens when I do this. And her face is covered, and I went out there the next day, and her mouth is like all covered, and the drips are coming down. It's just like stuff like that that comes out when you, you free yourself of any kind of art historical thing that you think you need to do. Just, just do whatever the heck you've got to do and just go do it. And... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Heidi, can I take you to the zoo while we're Sure. Ask you about elephant in the world. Okay. Um, a while ago, you used the word encapsulate. You were okay. sort of introducing the technique with the resin form and, and whatnot. Um, and the word encapsulation, or it was something else though. Sealing? Sealing in? Capture? Yeah. I was thinking more like the preserve aspect that, that um, these people are your dad. Mm -hmm. Your mom, your sister, mm -hmm. uh, people that are intimately connected with, with who you have been and who you are and who you're going to be. And um, I don't look at these pictures as being nostalgic. Mm -hmm. And I think you go out of your way to sidestep you know, the nostalgia that normally goes with photorealism. 
you know, all that crap about, oh, it looks so real, and all those things that just make your skin crawl, mm -hmm. as we've talked about. But what about the preserving, you know, the sealing into your memory of uh, moments that are gone by, and, and avoiding the sappiness? What are, what are you preserving, and what, you know, it's I think, obviously very meaningful to you, but you haven't mentioned it at all. I think I'm, I'm neck deep in process right now, and neck deep in justification. When you speak about nostalgia, and you speak about avoiding the sappy traps, and the fact that your friends and your family, and the artist draws pictures of friends and your family, oh, it looks just like photograph, these all shucks expressions, um, and you want to be a serious artist or whatever. Um, and I, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I think that that is what the epoxy is doing, is it's, it's, it's creating this like metaphor for capturing, encapsulating, entombment. Um, there's another word I use, and I guess we'll rewind later. But obviously, it starts with the connection that you have to the people, the image, a reverence, some kind of, I think it's unavoidable because I think it's red. I don't think I see it so easily because I'm too connected to the work. But I think there's a, a connection, an emotional thing that you're saying and speaking about that, that I believe happens with every single person in this room, which is your relationship with your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, a good friend, someone that's important in your life. It's not just about my father. It's about the emblem of fatherhood, fatherdom, the emblem of sisterly, the emblem of friendship. But broader than that, I truly feel that it's just more broadly about the un, you know, and I've said this to you before, the kind of the unknowable nature of like human existence. Like you're just trying to grab hold of figuring out what it means to be alive at this particular moment in time. So I don't know if that answers or expounds, but certainly they're emotional. Sure, sure. Uh, Chuck Close and uh, Leo Cook, you know, she's a weaver. They use images of people that are close to them. Mm -hmm. um, and as artists, we might say, well, we don't have to pay for the model. But, you know, you have a, a depth of relationship <laughs> with that person, and, and it becomes a deeper symbol. Mm. Um, I wonder what Chuck Close says. Uh, you know, because he habitually has done that. Mm -hmm. You know, you see his wife and mm -hmm. uh, children and his close friends. Well, I mean, okay, so I think initially started with images that were important mm -hmm. to you in some way, mm -hmm. but then it opened up into the studio is so important to you. Yes. So the accidents, the experiences in the studio become important. But the entombment or the, the idea of investing these objects with meaning I think it's all a piece the subject matter but the process all of it these things become charged objects objects that are charged with both emotional and visual energy it seems to me that that's what's happening it has to you know and I, I'm at a point where I've been you know really mired in process with this epoxy just threw my work into a tailspin in a good way and then I think you start to slow down you start to ask yourself okay everything it's all about the image you choose at the guts of it the image you choose is what the piece will be. It does, if you don't choose an image to draw that means, means something to you, that you connect with, that you believe in, you've, you've failed from the get-go. Um, so it's very important that you, you connect with your image. And I truly believe that, the, I think getting to 42 at this point, you, you understand, um, it's not so like vitally important. He's got to be this like good friend, or it's got to be my father. It's almost like you understand how to get to the guts of a person a little quicker, so that I could take a photo maybe of of more people now at this point and figure out how to infuse them with the the, the, the language that I want to speak through that person. And so that for me, it's a little bit more of a a common denominator of humanity. Not just that it's, again, I've said this before, not just that it's my father, but that it's your father, or that it's your mother, or your experience, too. 
in an across-the-board kind of way, not to pander or not to try to be too democratic, but I just feel that art has to, in some way, connect. Okay, so as an aside, and I'm only half serious about asking this, it's another art term, not photorealism, but I was also thinking of trompe l'oeil, mm -hmm. and how, how does the idea of trompe l'oeil work into this, where you'll take an accident and mm -hmm. very carefully reproduce the accident to kind of fool the eye to, into, is it, was it accidentally made okay, or so was it? Okay, so I'm much more interested in, this, this happened when I splotched some stuff and let it smack down on the picture. So this actually happened. This yeah, is not... that actually happened. I did not. I'm much more interested in this okay. idea of let the spray paint do whatever the heck the spray paint wants to do. I'm so I don't know why I'm just riveted with this idea of replicating the accidents through the accident of the studio, like the mm -hmm. piece over here. Um, you know, it's epoxy failed. I failed, right. and the epoxy failed. The whole thing failed, and in and um, so the things just started dripping all over the place. Up. I turned it this way because it was getting all over the floor, and then I turned it the other way, and finally it stopped moving. And you know, I was just like, "It's not, it's not just you know." That was this was the piece that everyone who would come in the studio would respond to kind of the most, and you're like, "Great, thanks." Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but the 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 most recent piece I just finished in the studio was, um, and I don't know how many people know what epoxy means. Does anyone work with epoxy? Anyone understand it? It's how important is it to get the bubbles out? It's really imperative. imperative, right? In my new, the new way I'm working, it's kind of like bubbles everywhere. You know, because why? Why would I leave the bubbles? Well, they introduce chance into the piece. And what do they look like? Oh, like a like a sparkles. They just become part of it. Was just so obvious. It was as obvious as when I was on my face. You know, like I did the pour. I I I figured out the formula a little bit more, and I. I coated the thing with a little bit of spray paint, and you just kind of figure out your formula. And again, I'm talking about process again, but it's just all about that for me right now. And right. did the epoxy pour, and it just riddled with bubbles, and I'm grabbing my flame, and I'm ready to spray the thing, and I'm like, that's really beautiful. Mm. And already the, the print I was working from had splotches on the face, and I'm like, um, I'm going to replicate the splotches anyway. And it just so happened that the splotches went right across the face with the bubbles. I'm like, let's just leave the bubbles. Mm. So you leave the bubbles, a couple days go by, you start sanding, and before you know it, the painting is painting itself. The drawing, the epoxy, whatever it's called, I don't know what it's called. Sure. And, and you know, I do portraiture too, but when you let the drying painting become so precious that you can no longer take mm -hmm. risks, it loses its energy. Mm -hmm. It does lose, and you mm -hmm. lose your energy with it. Right. And so mm -hmm. I did this, the, the, and as you sand, what happens is you're, you're sanding down these bubbles. So then, and then little bubbles, tiny bubbles, just tiny microscopic bubbles and swirls are happening in controlled spaces because I did use the flame in some spots, but it was just like, okay, your work hasn't even begun. You know, you, you've just, okay, starting now you're an artist. Right, like, right. now. <laughs> it's the only day, yeah. Um, well, so you mentioned, um, chance events and I, I was thinking about um, John John Cage came mm -hmm. to mind and his, his idea of control mm -hmm. and um, how he balances the extreme of complete control mm -hmm. with complete chance mm -hmm. and, and lays out the hyper specific process and then allows it to make the thing right and he doesn't even have the, the thing is done away from the process of him creating the, the steps the steps happen and then the image occurs right and it seems like there's something of that extreme mm -hmm. happening here where y your touch is in insane. It's like it's so, you, you have so much control over the, the drawing mm -hmm. that then you feel the need to, to fight that mm -hmm. by allowing the object to get out of your hands, mm -hmm. to have a real experience, you know. But, but bo in, both, in both stages there, you're having a real experience. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of, they become synthesized it's in some more way. dynamic way of making art and yes it's, it's synthesized and it's controlled chaos mm. you know at this point it's like um, you you do have to control the work and because you want you you want a measure of control right. and I talked to you before about the conductor you know right. you listen to great symphonies and each conductor has his own way of producing that music and you have to control and corral the strings and and uh, the bassoons and 
the the drums and the the clarinets and the, everything together to make this thing happen. And there's leeway. He's he's he wants to stretch this note and pull that note and dim it down over here. And I want more over here. You know, I want to slow down the tempo. I want to speed up the tempo. Um, there's all these lyrical things happening in the work now. Um, sing songy just whimsical, anything goes kind of thing that's just rewarding to do as an artist and you slow yourself down and you let the work speak to you more and mm -hmm. it's, just a, it's just a much more rewarding way of working as opposed to if you want to then contrast it back to the past where it was just like you make a drawing, you put it in a frame, you hang on the wall, mm -hmm. which is fine. Mm -hmm. But this is, this, is, this is where you're at now. It's like, let's run with this yeah. new yeah. thing, yeah. this controlled chaos. And I'm yeah. really interested in Let's replicate the accidents in the way that the accidents would have happened. My sister came into the studio, and this looked different. And she's like, Heidi, it just looks like you, it just doesn't look like it really happened. Hmm. She read the falsehoods right away. Mm -hmm. So I would mm -hmm. edit the whole thing out. And, <laughs> and you know, they're readable, mm -hmm. you know, these things. And so you're just kind of, if you push it too far, you know, it'll be palpable. Hmm. Um, so it's just it's like these layering. You've got to. You've got the emotion of the person, your relationship to the person, your darkroom experience. You know, you're layering all these things and just hoping as you do it, you're getting it right. Yeah. You just try to run with it, yeah. see where it takes you. Yeah, that's wild. It's um, it seems like a very um, alive place to be in the mm -hmm. studio right now to have these things happen. And and so that leads me. I, we're we're getting a little short on time. See, I told you we'd have plenty to talk about. Um, <laughs> I did want to talk about the gallery experience okay, of installing okay. for that very reason, because it seemed like there were a number of experiential act activities happening in here in the course of hanging the work, like oh, accidents yeah. or discoveries or even discoveries with the, with oh, the yeah. holes, but then even putting it up and seeing the shadows. I think that like, it's clearly, the, 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 because you've thrown the rule book out and you're sort of open to new things, and any artist in here can do this if you let yourself tap into new experiences. Um, like right here, I had all these metal pieces constructed and we lost, the, we lost it, Chris. It's Did it pop out? No, it's just... It's not as much as these, it was. These holes right here were meant to um, hold the work in place. But then when we put them on the wall and it was hanging lower, the lights were shining through and my one friend said it looked like a spiral notebook and then Kristen Quinn said it looked like the edges of the film. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just all these beautiful discoveries that just deepen the drama or deepen the meaning of what you're doing and accidents. And, and so I've learned more from hanging this show than any show I've ever done. Because the, the activity, it takes the work outside of just drawing and just being in the studio to almost performative. Like, how, what is, even when we hung it, then the work became, because I wanted the shadows and all of this to be part of the work. I wanted the work not to just be a thing on the wall. You know, and this was like extremely stretching that idea out further. You know, the film, and then over here we were fooling around and like, oh, look at the way this is dark and this is light over here, just like spray paint and gradient, you know. You know, all these things that are moving together and doing these things. Um, and so that was only possible by doing a gallery show here and letting the work roam free to find its voice and symphonic uh, voice here within this space. So, yeah, it's been very rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Nolan has a question. Oh, no. You, He's like, you're yeah. supposed to have a question. I, I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> I what was I supposed to ask? <laughs> 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 no, you got five minutes. You got five minutes. The only question I have is like a technical question. As okay. Like, how do you actually draw them? Like, do you grid it out when you draw Yeah, I do a big grid. And I do a tiny little grid on the paper and a big grid on the... Tiny grid and a big grid. And they're really tiny, and I love them. I love my grids. They're very, very special. And the is, the is the pastel, is it by hand, or is it with brushes? or It's just with tiny little, and with brushes, and just... All sorts of different things. You just do. keep doing whatever. Just figure out how to get where you got to go. Sure. And, and Chuck Floss has even uh, taken his gridded photos. And hung oh, sure, the gridded photo, too. Uh, I, one question in the back first. I find it practical, too. Um, I... I wanted to know what your favorite um, material is to, to do your um, images on. Oh, just a thick paper. Okay. Like this is just the paper right here. The, everything's done on this right here. 
But once the epoxy is on it, it becomes a much heavier sure. object. So this is mounted, and that's mounted on the foam. So I've been just doing all these. That's mounted on the wood. That's mounted on the foam, but I cut it out because I wanted to look like I was floating on the wall. Do you have a particular paper that you like to use? It's, it's, um, it's called, um, oh gosh, uh, Crescent, Crescent Ragnat 100. Okay. Yeah. Eric? I just want to say what I'm struck by uh, in this work is the intimacy and the sort of fleeting moment quality to your actual image. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you add time. Mm -hmm. And you layer it, and you seal it, and you sand it, and you live with it. And mm -hmm. like you said, you start kind of on its journey, and you get it here, and you discover that it's still not done. Yeah, it's still moving forward in time. And so I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when you talk about the relationship you had with the digital, mm -hmm. the more instant machination of, and the, and the preciousness of, of hiding it, you know, sticking in that frame. It all makes so much sense, and mm -hmm. it gives me a deeper appreciation for work, your work, but that is really what I see here that strikes me the most, is the contrast between this real intimate, fleeting little moment, like what she's, maybe he told, he's singing her a song, I don't know, maybe he told her a joke. I have no idea what's going on there, but it's this little sliver of time. Mm -hmm. But you, you build mm -hmm. on that. But you're behind the camera too, mm -hmm. are you not? And oh. so you, what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you're actually reacting with the people and creating the moment and you're yeah. part of it all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's too why I like to, I like to speak really literally about, right now, that these are drawn from is clearly thinking about time. You're looking at this physical thing. I love the way that somehow the work turns itself into a giant photograph. I, I'm wrestling with what that exactly means. Like this, this feels like it could maybe be a giant photograph. You know, again, I'm talking metaphorically. Not that, oh, I wanna try to make a thing that looks just like a photograph, like a, it's just like big ideas that you're wrestling with what exactly does this mean yeah. you know and I think through the dialogue with others too you find the truth of what exactly you're doing and it paves a new way forward yeah. you know I mean it seems to me that there are a number of metaphors at play here that are multiplying into these symbolic objects mm -hmm. and the symbols are rich with multiple interpretations you could go to the literal it's a giant photograph now and you were you were the machine of the camera, mm -hmm. step by step, but it can be so many other things too. I mean, it's they've they're at a place where they're not easily definable. I, I think that's wonderful. I think every artist person should try to push their life or their work to that place of just the the absolute edge, and then you fall over it, and then you figure out where you go from there. Like, don't hold back. Um, just that last drawing I had done in the studio, just two at the same time. You know. You just felt like you were like a horse and a rider. You know, you're on. You're just galloping, galloping, galloping. It's like super intense. I'm sure people have had these moments in the studio where you're uncovering these bubbles and you're just like hardcore tripping out. You know, and <laughs> it's it's that's the reward. And you know, you had kind of talked to me before about the international art experience and all that, and that was fun. And it, it was I'm very grateful. But the reward of the studio now is like there's just no comparison. Um, I'm grateful for every opportunity and every moment, every person I met, every person that supported my work. Um, but I'm so grateful to finally get to a point where you feel like your work is doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing, you know, and so. Much more sustainable. It's a more sustainable way to be as a human, <laughs> you know. For so, sure. yeah. You're back home. <laughs> yeah, literally, and yeah. it's metaphorical. Home for the first time. I've yeah. never been home before. <laughs> you know, when you're 24 and you don't know what the heck's going on, you know, um, you know, I'm sure any person that's over the age of 40 or whatever probably can relate to the idea that you finally kind of, okay, let's just, we kind of get it, and it's sort of okay if we don't, but we're sort of at peace with that. You just sort of reach a more a zen state of mind. Um, and then if you're an artist, it's a different kind of thing because, you know, you're always sort of inward and in the studio. And <laughs> so it's, it's a, but you know, it's vital as an, you know, if you're a working artist, it's vital that you get to that truth with yourself. So. Absolutely, absolutely, that's great. Any, any other questions? 
Well, I just, I'm just sitting here thinking how I miss Bruce Carter and our talks and, and what he might ask you. And um, looking at that picture looks really ethnic to me and realizing you're from DeWitt. I'm like, where do you find ethnic people in, in DeWitt, much less the state of Iowa? But it really does look, it looks like something, um, it actually looks like to me I'm doing genealogy. So I could take that and put that, you know, on family surgery and, and label that as some of my ancestors. Mm. To me, that looks like that picture was taken a while ago. Well, everybody, people say that often. I don't know why. I don't, I, I just, the piece I just did, I had some people in the studio and they're just like, this looks like it's from the 50s. You know, you're just doing what you do and you know, I'm grateful and gratified that people can draw something deeper to it. Um, that's me, <laughs> you know? So it's just me as a 25 year old, young, crazy girl just hanging out with my friends and trying to create this moment. Like I remember specifically, um, guys, I really need to do this and you know, none of my friends know anything about art. They think I'm crazy. Like I know this seems insane, but I need you to sit with me and we need to make work. And so we did it and um, someone was behind the shutter taking the picture and now, you know, how many years later? I took that picture in 2000, you know, and it's just, I guess I would say to any artist here, keep working. You don't know when the moment will come where you're going to get payout. And I don't mean money. I mean, I never would have dreamed that I would get this out of that in 2000. We're talking 16 years later, 15, and you're sitting in a dark room in Blackhawk College in Iowa, and you're getting this like, this was taken in Colorado Springs. You know, the journey just takes you so far. And it's just a vibrant, like a live kind of connected way to just go so deep down the rabbit hole and just don't know where the heck it's going to spit you out. But, yeah. you know, I'm not at rock bottom. I'm, I'm heading toward rock bottom in a different way, you know, <laughs> down the rabbit hole this time. Yeah, but uh, bedrock, bedrock. I don't know where it goes, but it's way better than the other rock bottom where you're kind of toiling at camera corner like, what's going on here? You know, you're trying to, they're giving you therapy. The guy behind the counter, you know, and he doesn't want to. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's every, not good. That therapy. doesn't work very well. <laughs> so. This has been Q&A, recorded in the Kadich Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Kadich and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.